I see you shiver with anticipation. Patient. You, you, you want to say patient. Patient. Anticipation. Patient. Anticipation. Patient. I, I can't wait. Can't wait. Anticipation. Patient. Oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and today's episode is a fun one. A fun one. We are going to do the time warp again. Yes, that's right. We are talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show, comedy musical, uh, the cult classic, you know, the one that came out in 1975, directed and written by Jim Sharman. I hope I'm saying that right, uh, based on the original musical by Richard O'Brien, and it stars um, very good very good actors. We have Tim Curry as Dr. Frank Inferter in one of his best roles. I'm gonna I, I will swear by that. One of his best roles. Susan Sarandon in one of her earlier roles, Susan Sarandon, and Barry Bostwick, uh, the mayor from <laughs> the mayor. Yeah, I believe it was mayor from uh just uh 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 this the Michael J. Fox show. Why can't I think of the name of the show? Uh, but anyways, Barry Boswick, uh, Brad Majors, uh, and then uh, Richard O'Brien, who wrote the screen, uh, the not the screenplay, the musical play plays Riff Raff. So and and because he wrote the the uh, music, uh, Meatloaf also makes a um, an appearance. Charles Gray in a fantastic role outside of his normal roles, kind of a goofy role as the criminologist. Anyways, we are going to be talking about this. Now, uh, the other interesting thing uh, um, about, about this episode that you are about to listen to is it was recorded as a, a streaming episode. So we uh, did this live on my Twitch channel, Prof. We did this live, um, uh, so, so you know if you're listening to this episode when it goes live or within 60 days of that recording, you can go watch the whole thing and our breaks and everything uh, like that uh, on my on my Twitch channel. After that, it it'll be dis- it'll disappear uh, because the point was to make the podcast episode and not and and not a um, a video to 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 keep. So um, so. Uh, that's why it'll sound a little different. Um, it'll have a, a slightly different pace to it. There will be a couple of breaks uh, where um, we will put in uh, my 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 uh, call to action 
mid-roll and um, the sharing segment that I also plan to uh, include in this episode uh, from uh, viewer uh, viewers, s- listeners like you. So stay tuned for this episode. It is a good one. We have a returning guest. So let's get right into it. All right. My guest host today is friend of the show, Dr. Wynn Goodfriend. She's a professor of psychology at Buena Vista University in Iowa. And this is her fourth appearance on the show four times. Wind, how are things going in the age of the COVID pandemic? It's been almost a year since we last talked. Yes, it has been a long year, although I feel like it hasn't been that long since I got to talk to you. First, let me say thank you for having me back. It's my honor and pleasure. Of course. Uh, Other than... I feel like it hasn't been a year since I've talked to you. It, it, in every other way, it's been a very long year. Um, but the good news is uh, my partner and I both got our first vaccine shot last Saturday. So we are optimistic. Awesome. That things are going to get better soon. Yeah, um, I will be getting uh, my wife and I will be getting our first doses tomorrow. Great. So that um, is looking, we're planning on having a low-key weekend. Yes. Um, fingers crossed that we don't have issues. But yeah, I, I, um, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm happy to have you back. Uh, it, it's always fun talking movies with you. And um, I understand that you are teaching a psych and film course this semester. And every week... I believe you've been sharing the films that you're discussing each week on Facebook as we are Facebook friends. Yes. And so how how is that class going? You know, it's one of my absolute favorite classes to teach. Um, I developed yeah. it for the first time about eight years ago. It meets once a week. Uh, there's a 40 minute lecture on the topic of the week and then they watch the movie and they have to write a paper every week saying what was accurate, what was inaccurate. If the Mm -hmm. first psychologists in the film, how are they portrayed? Um, Is this doing good in the general audience in terms of understanding psychological topics? So I love the class um, because I love movies. I love psychology. The funniest thing that uh, is relevant to when I first developed this class was I would tell people about it because I was excited. And the Mm -hmm. by far most common question I got was, are there enough movies to have a whole class on psychology of film? And of course my response was every movie is psychology. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, exactly. Every exactly. movie. Yeah. So it's been great. And it's my most popular class by far. Most popular class uh, as far as how many people are in it or just um, what you're expecting with student evaluations, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, uh, probably both. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely in and, terms and, of and this is and this is not the first time you've taught this class right i think this is the fourth time i've been able to teach it i fourth teach it time. every other year every other year oh wow i didn't realize you were doing it that often yeah um I, I, the most i could probably get away with um would be uh, as a summer class and um i'm weighing whether or not i want to do it this summer um, with all of the other responsibilities that I have to do this summer, like writing scripts and such. So I don't know if I, if I, if I have the energy to do that, but I would like to, but I would like to. Well, the best part about the psych and film class is that 
two of the three hours are the movie. So it's, that's very true. And that's exactly what I did. Right. It is. Um, I mean, you can almost do it on autopilot at this point. Um, don't tell and my as far as, <laughs> yes, uh, don't tell my provost. Um, the, the, uh, the interesting thing, and and you mentioned, like, are there enough films to do that? First of all, it's at it's at most like a sixteen week class. It's like, yeah, I can figure out sixteen films if we did a film right. for sixteen uh, every sixteen uh, weeks. But I mean, there is a database that exists just for cognitive science films at Indiana University. Like, of course, I can find. Right. 16 or 15 or 12 or whatever however many um you're gonna do like that's such a silly it's, it's just that's an out of the that's an out of the um the loop kind of question it's like oh bless your heart right, <laughs> right. i think they're <laughs> i think they're very limited in thinking only mental illnesses and yeah of course that's not even my primary area of psychology and it's funny too because to totally find 16 films for that as well. Of course. <laughs> Cause like if we were to if we were to 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 um quantify like the psychological concepts in all the movies, as you said, every movie is a psychology movie. Right. Um it would definitely psych disorders would far outnumber any other kinds of of psych concepts in the films, right? Yeah. So it, it, even that kind of myopic thinking is is all oh, bless your heart kind of uh, uh, response from me, of course. Right. Uh, but we are talking about one of your films this this uh, episode here. We are discussing. Um, so I saw uh, your posts and I think um, this was maybe what? three or four weeks into the semester or something like that. Yes. Um, I saw you post Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I've been thinking about that movie for a while. It's been a while since I saw it. I watched it again today for our conversation. It's been a while since I saw it, but I have been thinking about it specifically for the things that we are going to talk about today. And when I saw you say that, I was like, okay, I got to sort of jumble up this schedule here for upcoming episodes because I need to talk to uh i need to talk to wind about this i really do let's just jump right in um to our discussion of the rocky horror picture show as as i mentioned at the start of the episode uh this film uh, has a really really fantastic performance by tim curry absolutely um, and it's it's a bit of a bummer because I, I was looking him up recently and he suffered a stroke um, in the last two or three years. And um, it's a real big bummer because of, you know, his filmography is amazing mm -hmm. and he can't he can't really act anymore because of this stroke. He's basically as as many stroke survivors um, do, they lose a number of um, of speech uh, abilities. Tim Curry had that um, had that issue, and uh, it, it was a bummer when I read read about that and uh, and talking about this movie. So Tim Curry's in it. Brian Boswick, uh, an early role for Susan Sarandon, and um, I mean, 
when what are the the big things that um, we want to take away from this movie? Well, let me tell you, I'm I'm happy to have this opportunity to chat with you about the film because my students did not have the reaction I really expected when I showed them this film. Um, and, and in hindsight, it makes sense, but this was the fourth film we watched. Uh, the third film was Memento and they were confused by that. And I said, not surprising. And I said, just wait. <laughs> so then we watched Rocky horror the next week and I am not making this up. I had two students email me and say, Dr. Goodfriend, I might have to drop this class because uh, I'm a Christian and I'm not sure I can't keep watching movies like this. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't really expecting quite that strong of a response. That's an interesting response. But it shows the, the reaction that people have when they watch this movie. I think that it's, there's a very divided reaction. Some people, when they watch this movie, it feeds their soul. It, it's something that, um, as, as I think we'll talk about tonight, something that provides them this sense of relief and hope and a way for them to reach out to people in their own community. Um, and there have been a lot of articles about how this movie has actually um, sometimes even self saved people's lives because they felt like um, I can go to the live showings and I can participate and I can find people who will accept me for who I am. On the other yeah. hand, there are a lot of people who really hate this movie, which was most of my students. And so um, they had some really interesting criticisms of the film. Uh, mm -hmm. And some of those I, I can see. So yeah. I'd like to kind of talk about um, sort of both sides of this film and, yeah. and really kind of critically think about, has it held up? Uh, since it came out in 1970, or sorry, uh, yeah, 75. It came out in 1975 as a film. It was originally a, a live play in London. Right. Came out as a film mm -hmm. in 75. And it has been, it holds the record for the longest film uh, being released in theaters, right? I mean, it's still, that is correct. still being shown despite COVID, actually. Right. Um, so exactly. it holds the record for um, sort of the most recurring film in all of history. Uh, but it's quite controversial still. Yeah. So what are the major themes, uh, considering that you got uh, emails from students about and them specifically mentioning their Christianity? Right. What are the specific themes that might have led to this reaction from the from your students? Well, so uh, my students are aware that when they take classes with me, um, they, they know that I am not shy about the fact that I identify as pansexual. Um, mm -hmm. And that my classes uh, will have a progressive message. Um, so I don't think that was a big surprise. But this, That's refreshing. this movie was kind of maybe pushing them a little bit. Um, so the theme that I give them um, before they watch the movie um, this week was gender and sexuality. And those concepts being fluid and mm -hmm. on a spectrum as opposed to categorical variables. So if you right. think about sexual orientation, sex, and gender uh, as mm -hmm. male, female, homosexual, heterosexual, and that's it, and pick one, mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's one that you should right. pick, you know, right? <laughs> uh, that's maybe not the only way to look at the world. And um, so I talked about uh, whether gender and sex and sexual orientation are malleable 
and continuous. Mm -hmm. And so um, I introduced the Kinsey model, which is a single continuum with heterosexual on one pole and homosexual on the other pole. And that's a fairly well-known model in psychology. Um, A lesser known. Yeah, it's been around. It's been around since what, 1950? Yeah, late 50s. Something. something. I have the book on my desk here, but um, that's yeah. They made and they made a movie about that. Absolutely, that's a great movie. That's going to be on the podcast eventually. Great movie. Liam Neeson is is really good in that. Um, Yes, agree. So people in psychology are kind of familiar with that continuum, maybe not so much outside of psychology. So for some right. of my students, I was introducing them to the Kinsey model, but I also introduced them to the Storms model, which I mm-hmm. prefer to Kinsey. So Storms has two continua. One continuum is attraction to the same sex. One attraction, one is attraction to what we might call the opposite sex, although I don't actually agree with it being opposite. Sure, um, yeah. But that means it's more like a traditional graph where you have an x-axis and a y-axis. And that means you could fall anywhere in the graph. So if you have high levels of both variables, that puts you in what used to be called bisexual, what is now pansexual or omnisexual. And then you can also have low levels of both, which leads you to the label of asexual, right? But it just offers more options, more flexibility, and of course the idea that you can move around in that graph. Um, yeah, exactly. And so we kind of talked about- Yeah, it's about, like a Cartesian plane. You, right. It's two-dimensional. Right. You know, who are you attracted to? When are you attracted to? All, all of these kinds right. of variables can change. Yeah, I, I like that model as well. Um, the the I don't know if I would call them models, but the the- Two, I will do air quotes around models here because they are not scientific, but the two that I show my students because I don't spend, I don't have any classes where I spend a lot of time on this idea itself, but the two that I use are either the gender bred person, which is now I think in version four, which has adopted a lot of features of Storm. Right. And then the, um, the uh, gender unicorn, which also has features of storm where pretty much all the aspects that are discussed gender gender identity um or i I think no sorry gender is identity uh gender expression uh sex uh sex assigned at birth uh and it's cuts out um attraction to romantically attracted to and um i guess We'll we'll call it because I can't think of the word right now. Um, cognitively attracted to. So there are two like you're you're sexually attracted to people or you are just like, I like that person because they're a person right. uh, kind of attraction. So the two separate attractions and both exist on a, a, a all of them exist on continua. Yeah. And so those are those are the ones that I, I show. And it's it's astonishing to me. Um, how few of my students who are, of course, younger than us, uh, don't actually know either of those models, I, I, right. even in even in the Internet sense of the mo- of the, the word model. So that leads me to an interesting question about the role of this movie in terms of generations. Right. So when it came out in the 70s. Um, the LGBTQIA plus population didn't have a lot of movies like this, right? So it was really, 
it was really pushing the boundaries. It was not really intended for a general audience. It was intended to appeal to this very specific audience. And um, many disenfranchised people were drawn to this film because it was intentionally for them. It was um, doing lots of things like breaking the fourth wall where Tim Curry turns to the camera and looks directly into yeah. it. And it, and some people argue that this is the first movie that, that did that. And I'm not sure if that's hundred percent. I don't know if that's accurate, accurate but, but some yeah. people have claimed that it, at least he does that. Okay. So he does. And, and they're also the uh, criminologist um, is talking directly to us. Right. Right. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. It seemed a fairly ordinary night when Brad Majors and his fiancée, Janet Weiss, two young, ordinary, healthy kids, left Denton that late November evening to visit a Dr. Everett Scott, ex-tutor and now friend to both of them. It's true, there were dark storm clouds, heavy, black and pendulous, toward which they were driving. It's true also, that the spare tire they were carrying was badly in need of some air. But uh, they, being normal kids and uh, on a night out, well, they were not going to let a storm spoil the events of their evening. Hmm. On a night out. It was a night out they were going to remember for a very... So it does things like that, where um, in the 70s, it was really important. um, And it's still important to a lot of people today. But my students, um, when Tim Curry calls himself a transvestite, there are sort of audible gasps. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. a word that you can say anymore. (laughs) Right. And that they're from the planet transsexual. Right. So when they wrote their papers... One of the big criticisms that my students had of, of this generation, and they're all pretty much sort of, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. They said, uh, it's not okay that the trans people in this film were made to be aliens because that's dehumanizing trans people. And mm-hmm. I thought that this movie was going to be holding up trans people and, you know, saying yeah. that they were good. And the fact that, Frank is a villain for most of the movie was something that they did not appreciate. Now he's kind of switched at the end. There's sort of like a plot twist where he's actually the guy you're supposed to sort of empathize with and root for. Right. But they, that kind of got lost on them. um, Or at least for some of them. And many of my female students did not appreciate that he kind of sexually assaults (laughs) Janet and Brad. Um, Both of them. Yeah. He he disguises himself as someone else. He um, does things without their consent. Now, they eventually consent, but they said not only is that sort of glorifying sexual assault, but it's also associating the LGBTQIA population with sexual assault and with, hed- yeah. and with hedonism in general, that like all people in that community are 
sexual predators, basically, that they're recruiting, right, which is a horrible stereotype of people in the community. There are those who say that life is an illusion and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. If this is so, then Brad and Janet are quite safe. However, a sudden departure of their host and his creation into the seclusion of his somber bridal suite had left them feeling both apprehensive and uneasy. A feeling which grew as the other guests departed and they were shown to their separate rooms. And so the vast majority of my students said, this movie is reinforcing all these really negative stereotypes and it's it's horrible. And I had kind of had those responses myself, but it wasn't really articulated in the same way for me mm-hmm. because I grew up with this being a cult classic loved by the LGBTQIA community. Right. And, so and, that's, made, all, and that's all I've heard uh, right. from that community too. Like uh, I have a really good friend and um, uh, he was on the show uh, recently. We did the X-Men, uh, Michael Alexander. Uh, he does... Uh, uh, I couldn't remember exactly when he did this, but um, he recently went to a, you know, an um, RHPS uh, show wearing a Frankenfurter costume. Right. Yeah, the, the girder and everything. Yeah, yeah, and the, the fishnets and, and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school and college, a lot of people were going to this live show and it was a right. celebration of being yourself and being authentic mm-hmm. and not being shamed not being made to feel guilty a celebration of yeah. you know being non-binary being genderqueer and so that's how i interpreted the film and why i wanted to show it to my students uh so i don't know if it's because many of my students are from rural midwestern areas i don't know if it's because um my university has a christian affiliation not every student who goes here is christian but it is right. explicitly an affiliation of the university. I don't know if it's just this generation. I mean, when I talk to my students in a, in a class, like I teach us a class on psychology of gender, and I talk to mm-hmm. them about uh, cisgender versus transgender, and they're like, right. who cares? Like, they don't, they grew up in a culture, in a, in a generation where it's not a big deal. And Yeah, and I hope that continues. Yeah, it's a fantastic uh, change. But I don't know that this movie is going to hold up for a generation that was raised with more acceptance. I mean, more, yes, I would say more acceptance. um, But we also want to make sure that we are celebrating differences. And so even if they are like nonchalant about uh, cis versus trans and all of that stuff, we still need to celebrate those differences. And I think that, and this is my personal opinion. I think this movie does celebrate, and 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 because I watched it today, I was specifically looking for those things after, you know, looking at our notes and um and seeing what you had gotten from your uh from your class. I was specifically looking for these things, and yeah, I, I get the villain the villainization of um Frankenfurter. But I think the um, the last, maybe it's not the last, maybe it's the 
I guess it's the penultimate um, musical number because I think the last musical number is Frankenfurter pleading for his life or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the penultimate one where they are um, de-medusa'd and they're all wearing the same right. thing as Frankenfurter. And if you and I had the subtitles on, if you wa- if you if you read those lyrics, they are all saying this is actually really good. This is really nice. This feels feels right yeah i agree and um i mean if you think if you take brad's character for example like he was totally against it right um right from the start and even when he is quote unquote sexually assaulted by uh frankenfurter um he says okay yeah you can right right you can um you can go down on me that's fine so the flip side in favor of this film is the idea that if everyone were really honest with themselves, maybe everyone would be at least a little bit pansexual. Right. Um, and, and the idea that you should not be ashamed of that, that you should embrace that and and celebrate it. Um, and that song at the end, don't dream it, be it. That's an inspiring mm-hmm. song, right? That's kind yeah. of the take-home message that I always came off of this film with. Like, be yourself, be authentic, be proud of who you are. Don't let society tell you who you have to be. That's the message that I, I wanted my students to get out of it. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I just read an article today where it was basically, does Rocky Horror hold up? And um, some of the live participation traditions are being sort of frowned upon now. So an example of that Mm -hmm. is it used to be that whenever Susan Sarandon would appear on the stage, the audience would yell slut at her. Mm -hmm. That's not cool today. (laughs) You know, that's, that's shaming. Um, That's shaming a woman who's simply trying to enjoy sexuality. It doesn't hold up in today's culture. So it's interesting to see it from the next generation's view. Yeah. And, and to start Maybe I'm I'm not I don't know, maybe it got ruined for me, which makes me really sad. <laughs> I think another viewing I think another <laughs> viewing is in Eldale. Um I need to go so, to it live. I think that's what I need to do. Yeah, when it's back live right. again for After sure. COVID. Or or at least go to uh when they do it when they're when they're back theaters are back at it, go to another midnight screening. Yeah, uh, because, you know, that, you know, that will keep happening. Right. I don't know if technically the pandemic has destroyed its record, uh, has destroyed its record. But, you know, we'll, we'll see that midnight viewings will be back. I think I think it's OK. I So here here's what I'll say um, as uh, and here I'll drop my my thoughts about just the film in general from a filmmaking standpoint. Um, the film is a mess. It's a real, it's a real mess. Yeah. It has a, some semblance of a, of a plot, but not really. It's basically musical numbers meshed together. Sure. And you don't really, you don't actually really know what Rocky Horror Picture Show means until Rocky in the credits is named Rocky Horror because he's only named Rocky. Uh, he, he only gets the name Rocky in the within the movie and the dialogue. He's never called Rocky Horror uh, during the film. And so it's just like, what is going on? What are, what is happening? You get a sense of what is happening with um, Brad and um, Janet 
Um, sure. And it's a sexual awakening for Brad and Jamie. Yeah, it, it's a it's a sexual awakening for both of them. Absolutely. And you get you get that. So they have character development, but nobody else really does in the movie. Nobody else really does. Maybe Rocky, but that's well, I, think I don't how know. how the His audience sees Frank develops, right? I, 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 even even there, I think his character development is extremely thin and um, he does change from uh, I would never have called him a villain, by the way. I think um, he's a tragic figure. He's an, a misunderstood person. Um, we don't have the full backstory about Eddie or what um, Columbia has in this whole thing. It seems like she's a fan of Eddie, but she was also a fan of fan of. Frank. Right. But there's not enough regular dialogue to get you to these points. But he and he the, does kidnap them. He does kill I still don't think someone. I still don't he you know <laughs> and no. his his parallel of course is Frankenstein, right? Which is the actual Yeah, Doctor Frankenstein. Right, right. The scientist, not Frankenstein's monster. Right. So the parallel is that in the book Frankenstein Dr. Frankenstein is the bad guy. The monster I still, is the I, good guy. I, I, I still don't think Frankenfurter is a villain or a bad guy. I don't think he, he is, but he's portrayed that way through most of the film. And my students did not like that. They basically said, you're perpetuating the stereotype that people in the LGBTQ community are recruiting and sexually obsessed and hedonists and that they're selfish, right? And I I started to kind of see their point. But let's take that stereo, let's take the kernel of truth in that stereotype. Where did that kernel of truth originate? And it is, is it really a kernel of truth? Is it really a stereotype? That, that what are, I'm I'm not that, sure I that, understand that, what you're asking. That, that LGBT, in LGBT individuals are are, are hedonists, villainized, a hedonists are recruiting they're and all villainized, of that. Villainized, yes, but that's, they're certainly not sexual hedonists who recruit people. Right. That, that's my point. You're that's my I mean, point, I'm right? in this community. <laughs> that's but that's my point. My point is that uh, your students are were were expressing this to you, and and it gave you pause. But I wouldn't consider those stereotypes. I would consider that propaganda. Yeah, but it's it's the same kind of issue that i have with tv shows like will and grace where jack uh -huh. jack okay he's hilarious i'm gonna give mm -hmm. the writers that it's a funny show but he's also perpetuating all of these super negative stereotypes about gay men right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. is that really progress why can't we just have a gay character who's like i need to buy floor wax like just a regular person yeah you know <laughs> uh i mean that's uh, kind of what, um, oh my gosh, his name is going to escape me right now. Oh no. David Rose's husband in Schitt's Creek. God. Oh, Eugene Levy? No, that's his dad. Uh, no, his husband, the guy, the, the character he marries is your, I need to buy some paint. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Man. Sorry, he was just on SNL. Levy, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. Dan Levy was just on on yeah. um, on SNL, yeah. but no. So his character, David Rose, has a husband, and and I am being a bad Schitt's Creek fan right now <laughs> because the name is escaping me, and this is this is bad. This is bad. 
Um, so yeah, but I, I, I go back to, I go back to, okay. So yeah, stereotypes and all of that, but I, I honestly think that what your students brought up in reference to stereotypes is more, is more aligned with, um, propaganda and i agree with you but they're saying this propaganda. is this is negative propaganda they're saying the movie this is, negative. is the negative propaganda i would not say the movie is negative propaganda no. i i never um, thought about it in that way until no. two weeks ago when my students all i think told that's me it was. i think that's the lens i think that's the lens that they are viewing it through to be fair dan levy uh, yeah dan levy was the david rose character yeah um Sorry, anyway. Um, no, but so yeah. my point is, I, I think you and I, maybe because we're older than my students, we don't think of it in that way. <laughs> but my point right. is that if some 18-year-old sees this on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever streaming mm-hmm. thing they have, and they just, or they're like, oh, I've heard of that movie. I'm going to watch it. And they see it and they think, wow, this is so mean to the LGBTQIA population. Like, they don't have the historical context that we do so i think from their lens it's actually really bad Mm -hmm. and that's why i'm saying like most of the people who watch this are not in a class where we're going to be talking right 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 right, yeah that's true yeah yeah so i don't know how you bridge that to be honest because um i i have not met any uh, so I, i like the movie but I like the movie for the same kind of reasons that I like Clue. Also or Tim that Curry. I like. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, it helps. Um, but but for the same reason that I like that I like the room. Like I hate. Like I like to hate to like the room. But I like the room. It's it's got some great quotables in it. But um, I mean it, it's. It, it's a cult classic for a reason. Yes. So this, right? to me, is the ultimate cult classic film, right? It's got this <laughs> underground yeah. following. It's got a specific audience. It ended up making way more money than it originally did when it came out. Like, this movie, to me, is the, the definition almost, like the epitome of a cult classic. Mm-hmm. But that means, I think for most cult classics, if you come into it, not knowing what you're about to experience, not having that historical context. I think most general people, when they watch films that are considered cult classics, are not going to like them. Yeah, I agree. Um, th- I think if people have a negative reaction to this movie, reading about it, First thing, read about it mm-hmm. and then maybe participate in um, some of the things that make it a cult. Right. Make it right. Make it a cult. God, that's no, that's terrible. no, no, no. Um, I, I know what you mean. There's a, <laughs> make it make it something more than just a movie. So there's a particular line in the film when I was reading about it that stood out to me as really maybe the key line besides at the end where they say, don't dream it, be it, which I think is a really Mm -hmm. important take-home message. Earlier in the film, there's another key line, which is um, when Tim Curry is talking about Rocky, but he says, I didn't make him for you. And the writers, I don't know if they're saying this afterward or not, but they say that that 
line was referring to the movie itself as kind of a meta line saying, I didn't make this film for you, where you is like the general cisgender heterosexual audience. Like, we don't care if you don't like it. It's not for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I will, even if that might be apocryphal, I, I 100% would agree with that. Um, because I think it takes more than one viewing to get the full feeling of it. Yeah. Right. Because, because of the fact that it's got such a loose semblance of plot, it's kind of hard to keep threads together. I also told Um, my students that they had to use the closed captions when they watched it because so many of the lines are either really fast or they're kind of dropped in terms of like their, the enunciation of the line. I said, you you have to look at the closed captions because the lines matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The lines matter. Um, the, the lyrics of the songs matter. Um, I, I, I was even thinking about, um, Eddie's song about love and rock and roll. Um, to your earlier point of like just being you and, and, um, just like loving who you are and what you do. And, you know, he comes and breaks back into Frankenfurter's, uh, mansion. It's just like, it's all about rock and roll, baby. Yeah. And, uh, he gets murdered for it. So <laughs> he gets murdered in a really awkward way, but he gets murdered for it. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's, in, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Um, Considering that um, Frank's M.O., at least with Brad and Janet, is to awaken them. Right. You know? Uh, so, yeah, I, it's, it's really... It's, it's, let's, let's take a, a pause here, uh, and we will be back uh, from a quick break. Hey, listener. Thanks for sticking around this episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Anyway, I need your help in growing this podcast's audience. In past episodes, I've asked you to share this podcast with five of your friends. Let's keep doing that. Share this podcast on social media, especially if you really liked an episode. Share that episode. Tell five of your friends or family if they have an interest in film or psychology, or even better, both. Growing the audience is our goal for the second year of programming, and so we need your help to get that done. Other ways to contribute to the podcast include tips to our PayPal, found on our website, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cinemapsychpod, rocking some sweet merch from our Spreadshirt shop, and or leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service. Now back to the show. So we are back with uh, Dr. Wynn Goodfriend. We are talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, everyone. And um, I wanted to continue our discussion, Wind, about um, the... One of the criticisms that you heard from your students about, which is at the end, spoiler alert, everyone, um, that the the people in the house where Jad uh, Jad and Branit go, gosh, <laughs> Brad and Janet go, 
um, are actually aliens from the planet Transsexual, which is, again, not a term that is used anymore. Right. Um, in the ga- galaxy of Transylvania. And it didn't strike uh, Brad and Janet as weird when they said the words Transylvania because that's just a name that play- where vampires come from, I guess, in world. So they were like, what's Transylvania? Well, it turns out it's a galaxy somewhere else. Uh, so they made the they they made these creepy people aliens, and um, and it and and your students said what exactly? Most of my students thought that was enforcing a negative stereotype that trans people are not even human. So they they reacted against that um, and said, mm-hmm. why why would a movie that's supposedly celebrating LGBTQIA people mm-hmm. make trans people aliens? Because it's making it seem like they're they're not even human beings. So right. it seemed like it was dehumanizing them. Yeah, and uh, so. So this is the 1970s, of course, um, and uh, I'm not giving a pass to um, some of the other criticisms they had about, you know, the sexual assault and things like that. You know, that just not okay, regardless. Right. But um, this whole idea of aliens um, and the the othering, I do agree that I think your students may have missed the point of the choice to do that uh, from the, you know, the writing standpoint both from the play and the screenplay in the beginning scene, there is, um, a wedding and, uh, it is, it's, it's an extremely bland wedding. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think Brad, it was the best man or something like that. And and he's congratulating his friend and they're like being really weird next to each other it was like it's right. like, like are you guys even friends or is there some like sexual tension yeah 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 exactly <laughs> and um and, and janet is pining for brad and they're dating and and um she's just like swooning over him and he he sings a song and it, he keeps, you know, tiptoeing around asking her to uh marry him and she just like, come, come on, tell me this, do it. And uh, you can sense frustration from Janet, right? Yeah. And and I'll specifically say sexual fr- frustration. And 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 this this particular scene and then following musical number set the stage for the rest of the movie that occurs in Frankenfurter's mansion um, as sexually repressive. It, it the whole thing stinks, and the interesting thing is that um, the preacher or the pastor or the priest, whoever, is played by Tim Curry, and they actually have him centered in frame in the back of the fo- the the uh, photograph that is taken of the entire wedding party, and I think he's spying on Brad and Janet. I never noticed that, Alex. You never noticed that? Okay. <laughs> you got to watch it next time. You got to watch it next time. You're, and um, the two people with him, I believe, are some of the people that you see later. I don't know if it's necessarily Columbia, Magenta, or... Um, Riff I'm on. I think it's Riff Raff. Yeah. yeah. Um, who wrote, I don't all, know the, if who wrote are... all the music, by the way? 
Oh yeah, the guy who plays Riff Raff wrote all the music. Okay, that's my I mean that makes sense. I think that's I think that's accurate. That makes sense. So so it's this this whole sexually repressive undertones um, that are are being set as the stage, right? And so when these two sexually repressed individuals, Brad and Janet, end up making it to um, having their you know tire flat and and end up going to Frankenfurter's mansion, that um, there's something wrong about all of these people who are acting in very strange ways, and that seems alien to them. And right. the screenwriters just made that real. Right. They just were like, oh, this is alien? Okay. Right. They were aliens. So it's so a couple of my students pointed that out and they said, like, so I think that the alienization is both sort of metaphorical and, and literal, and that right. it's it's representative of the fact that mainstream culture was a was alienating the community. Right. And so yeah, right. it's it's taking it to that satirical level. And I think that's true. I, I think that was the intention. But again, yeah. two of the students in my class made that connection. The rest two. of the students were like, why are they about aliens? So yeah. I'm just saying, like, without I feel like it it's a movie that you need somebody to explain to the cis hetero 19 year olds of the world, like this is what's really going on because I think mm-hmm. without that kind of guidance, it's lost on, a, on at least many of them, at least in my experience, at least in the students in my university. Now that maybe is not representative of all the 19 year olds in the world. Right. Um, I, I think it does definitely depend on region, which is what you know, brings me back to my earlier point of, of, you know, making sure that we identify the differences and celebrate them. Um, when I showed my students the other day the genderbred person and the the gender unicorn, I was like, "Look, everyone's different! Yay!" And I said, "Clap with me, please." <laughs> and they did. They did. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, it 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 does. Different areas of the country do need different kinds of educational uh, educational priorities for sure um and that just might be um that their reactions to this movie might just be one of those areas that our region of the of the country um needs a little bit of you know and then there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're receptive to it i think there's nothing wrong with that so the the good news i think from from my experience here with my students is even if they didn't get the movie their response was this movie is so mean to the lgbtqia population why are they stigmatizing and you know enforcing negative stereotypes so the good news is my students didn't like that that. they no, no no that they didn't like what they perceived to be transphobic or homophobic so my students were defending the community which was nice. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah. And, and so even if they didn't like the movie, the reason they didn't like it was because they perceived it to be transphobic. And so that makes me happy that my students aren't transphobic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I, I will say that, uh, 
even even if they thought that um, the movie is transphobic, they should have conversations with 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 trans people and find out whether or not it is actually transphobic. Get it from directly from the horse's mouth whether it is because I like I said I have not heard that from this community. And while as an outsider it may seem like it, I I, I see the other aspects of of the movie shining through. Especially, like you said, the last musical number, if you, you know, don't dream it, be it, that sort of thing, right? Right. And I'll say that, you know, earlier I was saying I'm not sure if the movie will be perceived in the same way by the next generation, right? So does it hold up? But I will emphasize the point of this movie is still absolutely essential in the modern world because in the year 2020, there were more violent hate crimes against the trans community than in any previous year, right? Yeah. So while maybe it seems like a lot of the next generation is more accepting of trans people, there is a minority that is a backlash response to this, I think. Yeah. And that is extremely troubling and dangerous and horrible. So the importance of showing the new generation, like this kind of empathy and and perspective is really important. Yeah, I agree. And it might be a case where, you know, as as the movie ages, um, it's going to end up being one of those things where uh, a good chunk of the audience views it in similar ways as they do, you know, a movie like Gone with the Wind, maybe. Right. I, right. I mean, there there are lots of things wrong with that movie compared to Rocky Horror, but but I I feel like that I mean because films represent the artistic um the artistic vision at a single point in time. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to to say whether or not something holds up. I personally think it holds up at least till now. We'll see what happens in another generation. Well, it, but at least till now. In three years, it's going to be the fiftieth anniversary. Is it? Oh my god! So, I think there will be a resurgence of this film. That would be nice. It's got to be celebrated in in pride communities. 50th, yeah, 50th yeah, anniversary yeah. of Rocky Horror, that's a big deal. Yeah, I think, you know, with the pandemic behind us uh, in three years or four years, um, with the pandemic behind us. Right. Um, ho- hopefully we should be able to do that, you know. Right. There was going to be a big 45th anniversary, um, which was 2020. Right. Yeah. So that didn't happen. But 50, right. 50 is even better. Right. I mean, you can. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, will will Alex, there be a time after COVID? Why we, not? We will definitely do it. Why not is a great sum up of this entire movie. Exactly. Why not? Yes. <laughs> why not? Yeah. You don't know until you try. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So some so some fun things, some fun things about this movie uh, so we can sort of end on a, um, a, a, we'll say, a lighter note here. Uh, some some fun things. You had mentioned that it's a Fox property. Right. Or at least so, Fox owned. So, yeah, it was a 20th Century Fox film. That's right. It was it 20th Century the, Fox. Disney purchased yeah. 
20th Century Fox in 2019. Doesn't exist anymore. Which makes Frank a Disney princess. Yeah, although I think you <laughs> might <laughs> I think you might have some pushback on that. Um, well, I don't think Disney because we what <laughs> well, I agree with you, but here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. You know how Angelina Jolie has played Maleficent to more of a uh, to more of an anti-hero sure. uh, than she was portrayed in the original um, Sleeping Beauty film. Yeah. Right. She's got a whole backstory. Sure. You know, what her motives were against the king and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, you end up rooting she, for her. Yeah. You're like, hell yeah. Yeah. Go Maleficent. That's- although your name still means evil. Well, sure. Um <laughs> Um, so I think, so I, what I would, what I would say is to that, uh, as far as Disney is concerned, Frankenfurter is on the same level as, as Maleficent. We'll, we'll, we'll give him that. I don't know if he gets to be a Disney princess though. I'm sure that's what he wants though. Right. Cause he's just a transvestite from yeah. Transylvania. I think he would love to be a Disney princess. from transsexual in Transylvania. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, not that I think Disney princess is really something to which anyone should aspire. <laughs> to be honest, I don't think he would aspire to it either. I think he would say, uh, I'd rather hang out with these other people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, on that on that musical note, what is your favorite song or musical sequence from the movie? Well, I think you may have hinted at it with. Don't dream of it be it. Of course I but... love Don't Dream It Be It because of the message. Oh! Don't dream it. Be it. Don't dream it. Be it. Don't dream it. But it's, you know, of course, the classic is the time warp. Oh, that was going to be my answer. And I'll tell you why it's my answer. And it's not because of the song. The song doesn't make any sense. Um, No, it doesn't. (laughs) It's because the criminologist describes how to do it. (laughs) Right. With feet. Right. (laughs) And then and then he's doing it on his desk and he's jumping around. Yeah. It's so good because he's supposed to be, you know, stiff off her lift Brit. Uh, talking about Brad and Janet having the the harrowing time of a lifetime, right? It's just it's uh, just a fun thing. Everyone it's wants a to join silly, in. It's a silly little musical number that makes absolutely no sense. But I was thinking about it, knowing that uh, knowing that you know the the um they end up being aliens at the end of the movie. I'm like, I wonder if that's how they get back. To you know, I, I wouldn't Transylvania. I wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about the physics of the plot. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, but this is what I do when this is what I do. I test the internal consistency <laughs> and internal logic of movies, and I can't, I can't, I can't stop. So, were you, it's hard. Were you so, offended earlier when I said negative things about Michael Bay? Because I know that the physics of Michael Bay movies are really. No, Tight. Michael Bay movies make me no 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 no. no. Um, Michael Bay movies make me uh, enormously anxious for all the property damage. Yeah, well, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't handle it. There are no rocky um, horror. <laughs> exactly, but in any case, um, that's what I was thinking when I was watching. I'm like, mm, 
I wonder if the time warp is what they're saying is how they go from planet to planet. I don't know. Because, you know, it's like warp. Although, to be fair, um, you know, there was only, I mean, the original series of Star Trek came out about eight years prior to that. So, you know, it could be a reference of that. We'll see. I don't we'll know. See. I, I don't know either. But that that is also my favorite sequence. Um, That's a good one. I also like. Um, well, I also like um, Janet. Uh, the be- the beginning song between uh, Brad and Janet, where everybody's just saying Janet over and over again. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's a great throwaway line in the movie where, um, you know, Brad is always introducing himself because he's such a stand up guy. Sure. And um, he and he always introduces Janet, too. And he's like, this is my fiance, Janet. Weiss and at one at one time he says Janet Weiss, the German way, and she's like Weiss, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that is wonderful, <laughs> and nothing else is is done with that ever again. But it's just like, do they even know each other, or they just, or do they just want to get married so they can have sex? Well, isn't that like a Freudian slip because he's referring to the vice of sexual attraction? It could be. Um, I'll have to watch the context of the scene again, but it, it just caught my attention, and I was like, huh, huh, because it also turns out that um, Doctor uh, Doctor Everett um, turns out to be German. And they didn't know that. And so it's like, this whole thing is weird. It's a weird movie. Yeah, it is a strange movie. Um, I think what you should play next for Sensation and Perception is um, Yellow Submarine, the animated Beatles movie. So the way that the class works is I give them a list of 30 topics and they vote Mm -hmm. basically on which topics we're going to cover. And I don't tell them what the accompanying movie is. Mm. So I had a bunch of topics that no one picked this semester. So we're not going to watch mm-hmm. the movie that I would have shown. The class is in charge of the topic. Gotcha. I just going from I just because I've had similar issues with um, Memento and then people being super confused by yeah. the quote unquote end of the movie. Right. Um, they did not uh, enjoy Memento either, which is my favorite movie of all time. Yes, it's up there for me as well. Top five, I would say for me, um, just because of of how well put together it is. But what I'm saying is uh, in relation to what you're saying about what you were saying about Memento and then them not liking the end of Rocky Horror is that um, I showed Yellow Submarine one time and my students were like, were you expecting us to be high watching this? (laughs) Because I am completely lost. Yeah. Because that's the kind of movie that is. With all of its bright colors and yeah. all sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, it would be a great trifecta. Just right. Tell your students, this is what filmmaking they would is just, about. I think they would just drop the class. I mean, I, <laughs> I freaked them out so hard. And then I told them, like, okay, the next movie, I think the next movie after that, I was like, this is a normal movie. Like it's, normal got, it's got a movie. plot. <laughs> People <laughs> saw it in the theater. Like, 
Welcome to the Your Thoughts segment of this episode. So um, I asked my colleagues, our colleagues, Wind and myself, our colleagues in the Society for the Teaching of Psychology Facebook group, if they were to use Rocky Horror Picture Show in their classes, what would they want to talk about? Uh, So Scott Morgan uh, added... uh, how would you define normal versus abnormal, a- adaptive versus maladaptive behaviors, conformity versus nonconformity? And of course, what we've been talking about this episode, sex, sexuality, sex, gender, uh, etc. Um, Madeline Brote uh, imagined talking about this movie in a multicultural class including uh, as a subculture uh, how queer folks have created a community around the film, as we have mentioned a few times in this episode. Uh, Shana Punim wrote about uh, wrote about how she would talk about the history of transgender identity, the evolution of terms, as we have mentioned here, and um, juxtapose this film with the documentary disclosure which is on uh currently on netflix about how tropes of trans characters um are either the victims of violence or the violent villains villains themselves which we, we have we have mentioned here um you could do as she says you could do all of this with just disclosure um and uh, you wouldn't need to show Rocky Horror, but you could do both of them. Uh, I think uh, both of them might be good. Crystal Young mentioned queer culture as well. Uh, Alexander, uh, great name, Bojan, um, shared a, uh, a, an article written specifically about the sociology of cult films and Rocky Horror. So um, I will link that in the episode's show notes. Um, and then I think a very, very great response by Miko Hishiki um, talking about anticipatory responses in EEG uh, because of Frankenfurter's mention of anticipation, that, that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, Jess Hartnett, uh, in, in one of the final comments, uh, brought a, a different perspective to it. Um, the idea of midnight showings, uh, the idea of interactive lines and dressing in costumes and and uh, connecting with larger groups and why are, why do we do that kind of thing, which I think is an amazing sort of out of the film context discussion that you could have with this film. And and as we've mentioned, so. Thank you to all of uh, to all of you who mentioned uh, various ways in which you could use Rocky Horror as a teaching tool and the kinds of topics that um, you'd like uh, you'd like to talk about with respect to this film. So let's jump back in to the discussion with Wind Goodfriend. Well, I want to thank Dr. Wind Goodfriend for joining me to have a lively discussion on uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
And um, we're going to do the time warp again. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, Wind, um, before we say our final goodbyes, what is it that you would like to plug for our listeners? Uh, something relatively new since the last time I was able to be with you is that I've written uh, an Audible original audiobook available only through awesome. Audible. It's called The Science of Love. And it goes through yes. uh, 10 lessons or lectures uh, or chapters on um, theories and interesting research on the psychology of sex and love. Nice. I am going to get my hands on to that one, considering our discussion today. So The Science of Love, available on Audible. I will link that um, in the description for this episode. Thank you. Um, wherever you get podcasts, I will go find it. You'll have to, you know, free trial or or have a Audible subscription f- to do that. But you, I will link that. And so... And I and I think I think everyone should check that out. I'm definitely going to get my hands on that too. Thank you. And so, thank you again, Win, for joining me. It's always a pleasure talking movies with you. I love being here. I hope you have me back. I definitely. And uh, for everyone else, until the next episode, thank you for listening.